All righty, welcome back everyone to this weekend, uh, this weekend's episode of the Toy Olympics Weekly Update. If you've been following along, you know that we had an emergency update earlier in the week for uh, the Beijing 2022 uh, qualifying documents that were recently released. Today we're going to do a little bit more of a normal episode though. We're going to cover the um, an interesting story about uh, the Vatican possibly forming their own NOC. We're going to go over the changes to the Lima 2019 medal table after some doping issues. Um, then we're going to talk about the FIS Tour to Ski and the FIS Four Hills Ski Jumping Tournament. You ready to get going, Voitas? Yeah, I just want to say hello to everybody and just welcome to our new episode. <laughs> Voitas is a simple, simple man. He just has he just wants to give a little welcome out there. All right, so let's. Without further ado, I guess we should go ahead and talk about the uh, Vatican NOC. So inside the games did some reporting, and we all anyone in the uh, Olympic Sports Committee uh, community, I mean, probably knows uh, inside the games pretty well. Um, and they had an interesting article about. Um, I think it was adapted from another source. I didn't. I didn't catch the source, but it was adapted from another source. The Vatican wants to form an NOC. I'd like to know your thoughts before we jump in here, Voitas. Well, uh, I, as far as I understood from the article on the Inside the Games, uh, the whole thing about the NOC of Vatican is not especially for the sport itself. Well, uh, the sport should, seems to be the uh, background for the stakeholders, however that sounds. Well, it sounds quite politically like the Vatican wants to have its stakeholders, but doesn't really want to have the athletes. Uh, are they not going to fight for the medals? However, uh, it seems that uh, this is the case for them to be uh, to share the values of the Olympic spirit, the Olympic truth, which is being forced lately in the United Nations. So that might be quite a helpful thing for the IOC to have the Roman Catholic Church's support as the Vatican NOC. Yeah, um, Monsignor, um, I believe it's pronounced Melitor Sanchez de Toca, who is the uh, Minister of Sports in the Vatican City or the Holy See, depending uh, which they go by. In an interview with uh, Franz Zoe, uh, which I think is a French sports uh, newspaper based off context clues there, uh, he, he was talking about that. Um, he was quoted as saying, you know, they're, they're not in it for the medals, but they would like to give more stability to the relations with the IOC. And um, they want to bring some morals back to the sport. It, it's very much a political move, like you said. Um, um, they wanted to be a voice from the uh, from outside the world of sport, like that of the church. And they think that they can help with the core values of sport, although um, I have my own reservations about that, but I won't go into that. Um, for them, they oh, everyone should know that they started with their uh, Vaticano Athletica um, earlier this year. That's their athletics federation. I believe that was the first officially recognized um, federation from the Vatican, and that's kind of paving the way for their entrance into the, um, uh, I guess, into the NOC realm or into the IOC realm at least. Um, I would I would imagine most of their athletes would probably come from the Swiss Guard because those are generally some younger uh, members of the church that are obviously tasked with being the Pope's protection detail, kind of like his, I guess, secret service, although they're not really, they're more ceremonial than anything at this point. But that would be where the majority of their athletes would come from, and maybe the, a few of the uh, brothers or sisters, you know, nuns and monks that live in the Vatican as well. Obviously, it's not a very big place. I believe it's something like 800 square feet in total, in total mass, or, you know, it's only like a block long. It's pretty much the Basilica and the few surrounding churches. So they're not going to have much to go off. I mean, even Monaco would have a few thousand more uh, 
more athletes to choose from. But um, it would be interesting to see the Vatican march in in 2024, because then every um, country recognized by the UN, maybe with the exception of uh, Western Sahara or the Swari Republic, however you choose to refer to them, would have a, a national Olympic committee that competes at the Games. And of course, we'll also be looking at uh, Bougainville as well, since they recently voted for independence from Papua New Guinea. But um, yeah, I think it'd be fun to see them at, at uh, Paris 2024. I don't know your opinion on that. Maybe you want to butt in there. Well, I think that uh, it might be a strange case that we will have firstly the Vatican uh, member of the IOC and later we will see the, for the first time the uh, athletes at the games, at, the, at least at the Parade of Nations. That would be, I think, the first such a situation in history. Well, maybe uh, maybe uh, before, uh, since the moment of founding of the uh, IOC when, you know, there was no Olympics uh, two years before the, uh, until two years after founding the IOC. But yeah, I think that might be a quite a, quite a uh, possible situation. And uh, another thing is uh, what sports will they start in? Because uh, as far as I know, they need at least five national federations to be recognized by the international federations. While we have the athletics, as you mentioned, I think the uh, swimming should be one of the easiest one to reach for the well, there's sports uh, for the people the, for the um, athletes. The national minister of sports said that they also they also have uh, at least within the Vatican they have teams for football, as in like association football, uh, taekwondo and cricket. So that would be four sports right there. They could also maybe pull on some regional uh, some regional Italian sports since that's where a lot of their Swiss guards comes from. Maybe some shotgun shooters. Although I don't know how shotgun. Yes, I was thinking face, about so. uh, Swiss guards. I was thinking that they might take some uh, some attention by the uh, CISM, so the military sports. And Maybe... that would that would count. Yes, that would count as the fifth national federation as well. I believe. Yeah. Also, while we're while we're on the topic of um, of potential NOCs. Of course, we also have to think about the Faroe Islands because I believe they're up to nine or ten recognized national federations now, as well as um, all the Nordic um, NOCs recognize their National Olympic Committee now at this point. But the IOC seems hesitant to to add the Faroe Islands into the fray as well, even though they are by all means an independent country in free association with Denmark, of course. Um, so this would be interesting to see if, if they add the Vatican and they don't add the Faroe Islands. That can also create some interesting potential problems. Yes, I was also thinking about Greenland. However, I don't think they have somebody more than the Sletamarks in biathlon. Uh, in handball. So, they have handball teams as well. Oh, the handball. So another the typical uh, Danish uh, uh, sport. So, but still, it's just two of the uh, two federations. So it seems it's, uh, it's too few. And well, we'll it, see what the future brings. It's also very interesting to have a purely, I mean, by all means, a purely religious um, country, really, in the Olympics. I, even even the likes of Saudi Arabia or Iran, who claim to be, you know, the, the capitals of Islam, they don't, they're not, their athletes still aren't, you know, the higher ups of the church, like the athletes from the Vatican would be. The people that would be competing for the Vatican really would be. Yeah spokespeople of the church, as were the athletes from Saudi Arabia and Iran are actually generally, you know, at your everyday average athletes. Yeah. So I think, um, I think that's a good discussion on that. So 
Um, we can do any follow-ups. If people have questions, uh, you can go ahead and reach out to us on our social media or on the forum if you have further questions, and we can try to address those. So now we're going to go ahead and we're going to move on to the Lima 2019, which was the uh, Pan American Games. Uh, there was a few uh, metal changes or metal table changes due to doping, and I'm just going to go down the list here, and kind of um, I'm just going to read off the new the new medalists that the updated PDF that um, Pan Am Sports sent us, and um, that might be all we do for this one. I'll try to go over a few of the people that might have been disqualified, although they're not on the list, so I'd have to do additional research into that. But that could be done if people have questions about that. Just reach out to me, and I can get you those answers. So the uh, metal changes that we've seen. So first we'll go over track cycling because there was a few there. Uh, and this, the changes came in the men's uh, team sprint and individual sprint. So in the individual sprint, uh, Nigel St. Philip of Trinidad and Tobago, who was the silver medalist, was disqualified, meaning that Nicholas Paul of Trinidad and Tobago stays in the gold medal. The silver medal now goes to Colombia's Kevin Quintero, and the bronze now goes to Venezuela's Hersey Canalone. In the team sprint, uh, Brazil was disqualified after one of their members was uh, caught with a positive doping test. So Colombia's team stays in the gold. Mexico has now been upgraded to silver, and Peru has been upgraded to bronze. However, Mexico was fourth originally, and Peru was fifth originally. So there's been another disqualification there. I'll have to get back to you um, on which one that was. I think that was the one from the Trinidad and Tobago. Oh, yes, yes, of course, Trinidad and Tobago, and they were the uh, gold medalists originally. Yes, of course, that's me being a dummy. So, yes, Trinidad and Tobago was disqualified in gold, and Colombia, who was the originally the silver medalists, are now the gold medalists. Mexico, who is fourth place, is now uh, the silver medalist because of the Brazilian disqualification, and uh, the fifth-place Peruvian team now has been upgraded to bronze, much to the delight of the uh, Peruvian people, I would imagine. Um, some other changes that we see... Uh, came in bowling, men's doubles. Not a sport generally impacted by doping, but obviously there was an issue there. The gold medal has now been awarded to the United States. The silver medal has now been awarded to Colombia. And the bronze medal has now been awarded to Mexico. I believe uh, I believe Puerto Rico was the original gold medalist there. I could be wrong, but I believe they might have been having some doping issues and uh, were replaced with the U.S. But again, I would have to uh, get back to you on that knowledge. In athletics, we've seen one change in the women's discus throw. Gold now goes to Cuba's uh, Yemi Perez uh, Tellez. And the silver now goes to Brazil's Fernanda Borges Martin. And the bronze now also goes to Cuba with uh, Dania Caballero Ponce getting the bronze. In wrestling, the men's Greco Roman 67 kilograms has also been changed. Gold now goes to Cuba's Ishmael Borrero. Uh, silver goes to Mexico's Manuel A. Lopez. And the uh, the bronze is now shared by United States' uh, Elias Coleman and um, Peru's Nilton Soto. And women's boxing, we've seen a change in the women's 69 to 75 kilograms, um, with the gold now going to Naomi Graham of the United States. The silver now going to Tamara Amanda uh, Thibault of Canada. And the bronze medal is now shared by Flavia Teresa Figueiredo from Brazil and Erica Estefania Pacheto Horado of uh, Ecuador. So another medal for Ecuador there. It was a very good game for them. Uh, in karate, the men's minus 84 kilograms has now been changed as well. Gold goes to the United States' Cameron Mendani. The silver medal goes to Alan Over Cuevas of Mexico. And the bronze goes to Freddy Valera of uh, Venezuela. 
We also have a change in judo, a lot of combat sports, which is generally where we see a lot of the doping, of course, in judo, in the women's under 57 kilograms. We've seen a change um, in the medals. The gold now going to Ana uh, Salman Rosa of the Dominican Republic. Silver now going to Yadeniz Amaris of Colombia. And the bronze medal is now shared between Anales Dovini of Cuba and Miriam Roper of Panama. So a bronze for Panama. They don't get too many medals, so it's nice to see them uh, be upgraded to a medal there. And we've also seen a, uh, a medal in rowing that has changed. I believe Uruguay was caught out here, and they were the original gold medalists. So the gold now goes to the team from Argentina. The silver goes to the team from Cuba. And the bronze now goes to the team from Mexico. Uh, in equestrian, we've seen – actually, this is quite a big issue because it also affects Tokyo 2020 qualification. Canada was originally the uh, um, gold medalists, I believe. And they have now uh, dropped to seventh place after a doping issue, which pretty much uh, tanked their team points, meaning that Argentina has moved up to fourth place and now qualifies a team for the, Tony, uh, for the Tokyo 2020 Olympics, which is obviously quite a big deal. I believe Canada is applying to CAS to appeal the uh, doping decision, but I would say at this point it's pretty much Argentina's quota, which is good for them because we don't see them in, uh, having equestrian teams at the Olympics very often. Um, I think that's it. I don't think, uh, Voitash, you didn't have anything to say about that, did you? Uh, I just wanted to say that it's uh, kind of an issue that the doping case uh, saved the podium for uh, Denia Caballero in, uh, in discus throw because she later on she made a silver medal at the World Championships in Doha. Uh, so, you know, she just needed the, an athlete arrival caught on doping to get the medal at the regional games while she's the second athlete of the world, it seems. But, you know, that's the sport that such a thing happens. And I just wanted to say a personal thing that I was, I had a pleasure to watch her in Poznań at my home city uh, just a month before the Lima 2019 Games uh, during the uh, Athletic Grand Prix in Poznań during the meeting. So, and she was one of the biggest stars of that meeting. Oh, it's always great to see the athletes in action. Uh, I highly recommend for any of our listeners, if you get a chance to go out and see any of the World Cup Olympic sports or even non-Olympic sports like uh, floorball or powerlifting, and you totally do it. It's an awesome experience. Same with volunteering. Highly recommend volunteering. I volunteered at the uh, 2017 uh, IWF Weightlifting World Championships, and that was quite an experience. That's not too often you get to see a world record pretty much happen right in front of your eyes. So I highly recommend that people go to these major events and see it for themselves. So uh, that seems like a good place to stop talking about the Lima 2019 medal changes and turn to some more current events with uh, the FIS Tour de Ski. And I believe, uh, Voitash, you're going to enter this one for us. Yes. Uh, well, the uh, first. Well, maybe we'll start with the women's tour de ski as uh, Teresa uh, uh, just as expected, dominated the inauguration, the ten kilometers freestyle run, uh, and she finished just uh, twelve seconds ahead of the rest of the field, while uh, the. Uh, other athlete who was uh, who is uh, nice to see again after a comeback after a knee injury is Abba Anderson, who finished third after a great finish, overtaking uh, Ingrid Flugstad-Ösberg at the final meters of this run. And uh, the interesting thing, she was to miss uh, the Tour de Ski, uh, according to the doctors, because of her injury, but she managed to recover before the, the event started uh, that Saturday in Lenterheide. Uh, however, in the uh, sprint, which was the second stage of that, 
Johauk uh, failed to qualify to the semifinal. She was out in the quarterfinal. And she lost her lead in the overall classification, uh, which is now held by Russian Natalia Nipraeva, who finished third in sprint, which was won by Anna Maria Lampic, the Slovenian. So that's another great comeback of Slovenia, uh, who, which is the nation uh, which is specialized in women's sprint and cross-country skiing. We remember Petra Majdic and Katja Wisnar, who are uh, really big stars of the women's cross-country skiing sprint. And uh, Lampic is now just one second in the overall classification uh, behind Nipraeva, while uh, Yahoo takes the third place. And... Uh, Maybe uh, Matt, you will be. You would like to say something about uh, the Americans who seem to be uh, very good in sprint. I mean, Jessica Diggins was fourth, and uh, Sadie Bjornsson was fifth. While Sophie Caldwell was not in the final; she was out in the semifinal, but she finished. She was classified in, in the top ten and uh, ninth position in that uh, event. Yeah, unfortunately, one of the bigger lines is uh, bigger storylines. I mean, as an American fan, of course, was the uh, abysmal performance of our women in the uh, mass start yesterday. Um, they got off to a good start, right up there with the Norwegians, and then they just they blew up and didn't really make a comeback. In fact, our best our best athlete finished twentieth, and it was Rosie Brennan, who didn't really factor into the sprints all, the sprints all that much today, and she was about a minute back off. We saw uh, Bjornsson and, or we saw Diggins and Bjornsson finishing 29th and 30th, respectively, with Caldwell all the way down in, like, I believe, uh, 46th. And she was, you know, two minutes 30 off. And then today, still kind of struggling, finishing ninth. At least Bjornsson and Diggins uh, came back for fourth and fifth. But it's going to be a rough tour for the U.S. women, I think, if they can't keep it together in the, in the, uh, in the distance or mass start races. It could have been a waxing issue maybe the day before. I don't know. But they definitely need to improve their their distance, um, their skiing in the distance, the longer distances, the 10Ks, the 15Ks, the 20Ks, and so on, if they really want to factor into the overall standing, because that's really where the time can be won and lost in the tour of the ski. Even though we saw the likes of Teresa Johag losing out in the sprint today, it's obviously still very clear that you're going to have to do well in the mass start, especially since um, one of the changes we've seen this year is that the um, what is generally the pursuit final stage up the up the um up the uh alpine ski climb is now actually a mass start so if the americans can't perform in a mass start that's going to spell some big issues for them on the um on the one of the most important stages if not the most important stage of the tour to ski so they're definitely going to have to improve their um their performances in the distance as i said or else it's not going to be a good tour for the women i'm going to remain hopeful especially after these sprint performances where they were able to make a good comeback today like lampich and like um neprieva but um, yeah, it's not looking good for the women. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned the change in the format about the mustard, which is which will be the uh, the running up the hill of Alpacermis. And uh, I was wondering, what do you think personally about the about that fact that it won't be a pursuit uh, again as it was earlier on, because you know. The overall classification of the Tour de Ski is concentrated, is counted by the time differences. We have uh, Lampich just one second uh, behind Nipraeva and Johauk and uh, Thierry Udneswenk with less than 10 seconds to the leader. And uh, what will we see? How will we see those differences in the final mass start? Uh, well, I think that the pursuit thing was definitely much clearer 
to much more clear to the viewers? Um, well, in short, I hate it. <laughs> But, um, you know, I, I think it actually is a real shame because it was always really fun. Even if the gap was, you know, even if Yoha would have been up by like 1.30 by the end, it was always just, at least in my opinion, quite fun to actually see the tangible gap and see people make comebacks or just, you know, blow the field out even further in that final stage. Um, it was a really unique part of the tour, in my opinion, besides obviously being a climb up an alpine skiing hill or what is generally used to be an alpine backcountry skiing hill. But um, it's just unfortunate, really. Uh, you know, we, we've seen a lot of complaints in the forum about the FIS, you know, quote unquote, killing the tour. And it really does kind of actually feel like that with this pursuit. It's something that I look forward to every year as a cross country race. I really look forward to that stage. Um, I personally love the mass starts and the sprints that we see in cross country. I think that they're awesome additions and that, you know, the common fan can really appreciate and get behind a mass start or a sprint, maybe more than an individual, as much as I love the individual stages too. But I also think it takes away from the tour, kind of like the cycling tour aspect of this, of the tour to ski, because really, you know, we should be seeing the time. It shouldn't be like, you shouldn't have to have a calculus major to be able to calculate The, the time differences between these athletes. And it really is being quite hard by a system to calculate the time differences and keep up with, uh, with two sprints in the tour and with all these mass starts. We don't really see very many tangible gaps anymore. So it's definitely um, a minus, a subtraction from the tour, in my opinion. But we've also, I also saw an interesting argument on the, on the form that kind of places some of the responsibility on the athletes. I think that's a little bit harsh. But I do agree that You know, if the athletes aren't going to, if all the top athletes aren't going to show up for the tour to ski and it's not going to be the one of the pinnacles of the sport, you know, does it really matter how they format it? Um, you know, if athletes are going to skip out for the Olympics or for the world championships, which is, of course, understandable because those are held to higher esteem within their, their national federations and within their countries and amongst supporters. But at the same time, it would be nice to see them all in this pinnacle event where people really come out and watch and we're... It really shows off the best class, and at least in my opinion, of cross-country skiing. Um, maybe you'd like to delve into your opinion further here. But, um, yeah, it's just unfortunate, really. Yeah. Yeah, and another thing that I would like to mention is that uh, we see um, just a boring, like, uh, 10 kilometers in women, 15 at men, except for the Alpachermis, which is 10 kilometers for both, and, of course, the sprints. So uh, every, I think that the... The differences between the, the each stage should be somewhere. I mean, just 10, 10, 10 kilometers or 15 at man. That's it's not fun. Uh, yeah, it's not it's fun. Not you fun. know, you see it, all the time. You see more more or less the same race, just uh, another form, but still the same the same distance. That's that's kind of boring. And we I, we had a user on the form uh, who talked about bringing back you know point to point races A to B, kind of like a cycling stage. And I would be I would be really down for that actually. I think the tour to ski each stage should be at least above if it's not a sprint, each stage should be above 20k unless we're going to do a short individual kind of like a sprint time trial like we'd seen in the Tour de France, you know, as the as like a starting stage or whatever. But really each stage should be really long. We shouldn't have that many rest days. I mean, it really should be a test of who the best cross-country skier is. And with all these sprints and with all these short mass starts, it really it really doesn't matter anymore in my you know It's 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 not really a test of the best cross country skier. It's the test of the best of the skier that can come out and just give a consistent performance, which of course should be rewarded as well. But it's it, there's no difference to it. You know, Teresa Johag won that first sprint or that excuse me, that first mass start 
by 12 seconds. And she'll probably continue to do that. You know, 12, 15 second victories, 20 second victories for the next mass starts. And there's not going to be really any change. At least with the pursuit, we could see the gap and it gave the girls behind something to chase right from the get go. So if Yohog was having a bad day, they at least have a fair chance and that they would know that she was struggling. But with these mass starts, she could just kind of hide in the pack most of the days and not have to do much. I mean, the men's race, that first mass start was pretty much a pack race. You know, it, of course, towards the end, it, it got spread out just a little bit. But, you know, it's not fun to watch a, a 12.5K procession followed by a two-kilometer sprint. It's just not fun. That's why, you know, part of the appeal of the of the 50K mass start at the Olympics is the endurance aspect of it and that we see things like breakaways or attacks or some more cycling-esque uh, type aspects to a cross-country race that we don't normally see. And the distance is a lot longer, so someone can do really well in the first 20, 25K and then just completely unravel in that back part and get caught out by someone who maybe was, you know, 8th or 7th or like in the men's skiathlon, the 30K skiathlon that we saw um, at, in Pyeongchang where the Norwegian came back from all the way down after falling right at the start of the race. You know, we just can't see that in these 10K mass starts. In the start of the women's 10K mass start, we saw a bunch of the athletes get bottlenecked at the first bridge and they lost so much ground that they couldn't even have a chance of coming back towards the top. It just seems like there's a lot of oversight that's been that's been had by the FIS that could really be resolved and that I think fans would really appreciate the tour more um, if they worked out some of these kinks. Yeah, yeah, and so uh, maybe back to the results because uh, well, we go we went to the format, but uh, we still didn't uh, said anything about uh, the men's uh, event. Well, the as you mentioned, the uh, the mass start was uh, kind of uh, interesting with uh, Johannes Klebo fighting mostly against the Russians with, and separating them in the classification with. Sergei Ustugov in first place and Alexander Boloshunov in third as Klebo finished second with a very tight uh, battle for the second place with Boloshunov. However, in the sprint, it was definitely the um, Klebo's day. He finished first and uh, even besides the uh, small difference, time differences uh, with from the master. He leads in the overall classifications uh, by 32 seconds uh, ahead of Bolshunov and the Swedish Johan Hekström. Uh, so Johannes Klebel is definitely going in contention for the second consecutive win in the Tour de Ski, and I think that concludes the. Think. I just wanted to give sorry, I just wanted to give a quick yep. shout out here actually, because we did have a little bit of an interesting result on the men's side. If you go down the uh, mass start list to about 32nd, we would see uh, Arino Estive Altamiris from Andorra, who is quite possibly the best skier that we've seen come out of Andorra. I mean, being 30, you know, 35-ish seconds off Bolshinov, like the likes of Ustigov, Bolshinov, and Klabo is really an impressive performance from a nation of under you know under a million people compared to those other huge huge nations like Russia and Norway, um, I think it's a very respectable performance. It would be really cool you know if he if he could really improve before Beijing and we could see him in the medal hunt. It would be so awesome to see Andorra really um, you know playing into the hands of a medal. And I think it's worth worth noting his uh, his performance because it is quite special in terms of what we've seen. You know he would beat out the likes of Andrew Musgrave and of athletes uh, of Kelly Halverson, which are both athletes we've seen do really well on the world tour. So I, th I just thought it deserved a little bit of a shout out there. Maybe you can uh, reprimand me if not, but no, no, uh, 
No, no. Thank you very much for that. It's, I didn't. I personally didn't uh, notice that name. So yes, thank you for noticing. I think that we will uh, write down that name the and the Andorra thing, and we will follow him, uh, even if not during that Turisky. Well, Beijing games are coming uh, soon, so just two years to the games. So maybe we'll see him playing a bigger role until then. And he has had some decent results as well at the at the um. After World Championships, he, I believe that his best performances generally come in the, uh, obviously in the 50K mass start and the 30K skiathlon. Uh, he kind of specializes in the mass start long distance races. So, you know, if we had some longer distance um, mass starts during the Tour to Ski, it'd be really interesting actually to see how he'd factor into those. And I, you know, I think personally Andorra should be really pouring funding into, into his training and really try to get him situated in that top, you know, 10, top 20 and you know, who knows, fight for a medal at the Olympics because we won't have as many Norwegians, we won't have as many Swedes, we won't have as many Russians up there. So, you know, quite possibly he's already in the top 20 when it at least comes um, to the Olympics. So they definitely need to pour some training in there. And, you know, he's worthy of a shout-out. Just that's all I need to say, I guess. So I believe that you wanted to now um, move on to probably what is arguably one of the most important winter events um, in Poland throughout the year, the uh, Four Hills Tournament in ski jumping. Yes, definitely, especially now in the, in the year where there is no uh, other big events. Of course, we have the ski flying championship, world ski flying championships, uh, which is uh, the which is kind of uh, less prestigious event uh, than the classical ski jumping uh, championships. Uh, and uh, this year, uh, definitely, four hills are the most important uh, part of the uh, ski jumping season. Especially here in Poland, where ski jumping is some kind, maybe even a well a religion, maybe too much, but a very important kind of national sport. And uh, another uh, good season starts uh, at the Four Hills by Ryoyu Kobayashi, the Japan Japanese uh, jumper who wins uh, today in Oberstdorf. That's his fifth straight wins consecutive win in fact which... I, uh, sorry to cut you off there but i saw a statistic posted by someone on our forum who who uh, they claim that he is the first athlete to actually have ever won all on all four hills of the four in the in the uh, same year no i think so that's quite an impressive achievement i think sven hanavald in 2002 did the same we will have to double check that Sounds yeah. like someone be lying to me on the forum, which is unacceptable. I think I think that was the, that was the question, and somebody answered that with Hanavald. That's that's all right. Well, we'll have to yeah. we'll check back in. Maybe we'll offer correction. Well, still being the we'll first or second in such a long history, it's just uh, it's the sixty sixth edition of uh, four hills. It's tournament. quite crazy. Yeah, it's a great, great, uh, great uh, thing. Especially well, now, obviously that's five wins. That's also five wins five in a row wins, for Kobayashi. Yeah. The, that that is also the uh, tying up the record also held by Hanavald, Kamil Stoch, and Helmut Recknagel, which dates back to the late fifties. Uh, so that's uh, that's another big achievement. And on Wednesday, all eyes will be on him if he wins the sixth consecutive win and will beat all all that uh, records. Uh, and uh, I think that's uh, just the start. So maybe we should. Uh, wait for more emotions uh, during um, this year's Four Hills tournament. Uh, I think that uh, the battle will be again Kobayashi against the rest of the field. However, uh, the Germans are waiting since Hanavald, so it's already 
16 years since that historical 2001-2002 uh, uh, for his tournament when Sven Hannawald as the first man in the history uh, took the 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 Four Hills Grand Slam with winning all the all the uh, Four Hills uh, competitions of uh, events uh, during one tournament, uh, which was repeated later by Stoch and last year by Kobayashi. So will be uh, will know that there won't be a fourth one, but maybe Kobayashi uh, will be the f- the first one to do that the same thing second time and the second consecutive time. That will be an interesting thing. But coming back to the Germany, who are wait, uh, the Germans are waiting uh, 16 years for for, uh, for or even 17 years for uh, their victory in the Four Hills. And uh, Karl Geiger was second in today's competition, third place taken by Davis Kubatsky and uh, the man who I mentioned, so Camille Stoch, three-time Olympic champion and uh, one of the record holders of these five straight wins. And one of those who won the uh, all the Grand Slam, he finished just 19th today. Uh, not a very good uh, competition for him. We'll see how he manages to recover from that during the next uh, stages of the Four Hills tournament. I want to give another uh, quick shout out here because I like to shout out the Little Nations in case people are just uh, catching on to that. But uh, we also saw uh, a good performance, maybe one of uh, his better performances from uh, Sergei Chichenko from uh, Kazakhstan, who uh, finished in 35th today. And while it might not seem as impressive from the outside, we have to remember that Kazakhstan is a country with absolutely almost no history in ski jumping. Really, the only reason they still exist is because of the uh, the beautiful facility they built in, uh, in Almaty for the uh, 2011 Asian Winter Games and then uh, the uh, 2017 Winter Universiad. But we've really seen that po- program really starting to catch catch some form um we've seen we've seen the, them become more competitive at the asian winter games and we've seen them now uh having a jumper that's capable of being at least semi-competitive on the world cup tour on a regular basis so it's it, again another country who should maybe turn some funding towards uh, towards nappy just wanted to give him a quick shout out yeah so maybe another country to mention is a little bit closer to you it's canada with mackenzie boyd, uh, boyd close yeah 39th today well, his bad luck that he was uh, in a one pair with Camille Stoch. So even besides Stoch's uh, form today, was not, Stoch was not in very good shape uh, today, but it was enough to beat uh, Mackenzie Boyd Klaus. I saw the uh, I saw that in the social media on Twitter after yesterday's qualification. He he asked on Twitter. Uh, who is he starting with, and the Polish fans, uh, or maybe international fans also, uh, uh, answered him the things like, you don't really want to know, just have a good fun. <laughs> so, yeah, but well... yes, Mackenzie is one of those athletes who is always at border between that second round, somewhere in the uh, in the top of the fourth stand, so very close to the 30s, very rarely gets there. But maybe one day he will make some bigger result well once he was in ninth position i think at one and he's, but... and he's largely responsible for keeping canadian ski jumping alive i mean he's all they've had for four or five years now i think you know it's been i did see that we had another canadian finally entered in, in a qualification yesterday i don't remember the name of um, of that of the kid i think he's quite younger but um i mean really he's responsible for keeping canadian ski jumping on the map and he's been consistently better than most of the americans so and you who have a lot more funding in their program and have a lot more hills as well that they train on. 
So yeah. I think that Americans, know. well, Kevin Bickner was 40 seconds, so just three positions behind uh, Boyd Klaus. I think that Americans and Canadians are even uh, working together. They are cooperating with their trainings and their uh, organization of the of the uh, of going to the different competitions. So I think that that cooperation should one day uh, finally make some bigger result. But maybe we'll need to wait for for that. Maybe America will get the twenty third twenty thirty Olympic Games. Yeah, and uh, then uh, maybe that will make some big boom for the ski jumping in that country or in in that region. Speaking of the uh, 2030 Games, another thing that we saw, I believe, uh, last weekend when we didn't have an episode was uh, that Sapporo is going to officially uh, bid for the 2030 Olympics. And it's also highly expected that Salt Lake City will as well. So that could be a battle of two classic um, well-known Winter Olympic hosts, which would be quite fun to see them battle it out for the uh, 2030 Winter Olympics. Well, Sapporo just 10 years after being a host for the marathon events of the Tokyo Games. Uh, I was wondering, well, b- well, as Sapporo said that they wanted to uh, fight for the 2026, which was later, which they had to uh, resign from bidding uh, because of the earthquake, I think. And Noriaki Kasai was the one who said that he wants to jump until Sapporo gets that Olympics. Well, I wonder if he will jump until the 2030. Well, they're going to have to beat Salik first, and we all know that... Um... Salt Lake has done very well in its in its history of bidding, so we'll have to see on that one. It'll be a fun thing to follow, and obviously, of course, Sapporo is the uh, I believe is the first country to confirm their bid for that, so they do have that advantage. Uh, getting back to the Four Hills, I it would it would feel um, well, I guess I don't know how it would feel, but it would it would feel mean. I guess would be the best way to describe it to uh, leave out the pride of Bulgaria, Vladimir Zagrovsky. Not a great day for him, but he did qualify for the main round, so. There is that to be happy for for our Bulgarian fans out there. Yeah, well, Bulgaria. Well, there was a time when Zogravski, I think he won the World Junior Championships uh, one year. Yes. It yep. was yeah, and so it, I I was thinking that he might be the man like Adam Mawish here in Poland who made that uh, made the jump ski jumping in Poland like the, the one of the biggest. Uh, one of the biggest sports, sport disciplines, one of the most important sport disciplines. All, all the, all the guys we see now, Hula, Kot, Żyła, Stoch, Kubacki, they are all the succeeders of Mawish, especially Stoch, who even made a bigger result than him with three Olympic golds. Uh, but uh, it's, I felt that Zogravski might do the same for Bulgaria, at least at in in some at some level. But uh, he didn't manage to have such a, such a great career so far maybe one day we'll see him but but maybe maybe not well as much as i know that uh, you could talk about ski jumping for hours and hours and hours i think this is probably a good place to um to bring to a close this week's episode um in a minute here i'm going to give you give you a chance to give your uh maybe a, a little year review or something since we're coming up on the new year this will be our last episode of course of uh, 2019 so we'll do. We'll each do maybe a little, a little what we remember from the year, and maybe a happy New Year thing. I also wanted to give a quick shout out um, to the. Of course, uh, on our forum we have the Totally Olympics uh, International Annual Song Contest, and that is starting up. This year's host will be Algeria, and it is a highly anticipated edition, of course, because of the um, 
the uh, well, the controversy surrounding the host, of course, and of uh, and of his uh, big video and graphic design skills. So, of course, everyone is highly looking forward to that. If some of our listeners haven't been on our forum before, I highly suggest joining and um, getting into that because it is quite fun. It's our own little version of uh, Eurovision. So, just wanted to give a quick shout out to that, uh, or maybe a reminder, because um, I believe the entry period opens soon. So maybe our, our users should be uh, listening in and uh, looking on the forum for that. And uh, I think I'm going to let you uh, do a little bit of a yearly review. Happy New Year thing right now. Well, I, I think I will do the personal thank you to you for creating the Total Epics Media and uh, for letting me joining that. And that was the thing that uh, made one of my biggest dreams come true because thanks to that, I could go to the UIPM Modern Pentathlon uh, World Championships to Budapest. And then I met one of my favorite uh, athletes, politicians, stakeholders. I think he he's one of the people responsible for everything at this world. Uh, His Serene Highness Prince Albert II. I have, I made a, I had an opportunity to take photo with him and, Yes, I, that's definitely one of the biggest moments of that year. I will remember forever. So thank you very much for that. And uh, I think that another big success of this year is uh, me joining the uh, Total Olympics Prediction Contest Group, which will, st- which I will start contributing with uh, since the beginning of 2020. And I invite you to take uh, part, as Matt said about the Total Olympics International Song Contest, I said about Total Olympic Prediction Contest. Would you, uh, uh, sorry, sorry to cut in here, would you uh, go ahead and give us, give our um, our listeners a uh, preview of what we can expect in January from that? That would be a good thing to do here, I think. Yes, of course, we have the uh, handball contest, uh, almost sure, we have the water polo European Championships also, and I think the, uh, the most, uh, the, the least uh, uh, official, the unofficial uh, contest for the Youth Olympic Games, which we're preparing. Uh, I think that will be a new format, the Youth and Urban format. So I think you're going to enjoy this this one especially. And of course, uh, good luck to all of you and have a happy new year. Yeah, looking back on the year, I mean, obviously, I think both of our biggest highlights, of course, is the uh, formation of Playlistix Media, as we are a newer organization but we are one who is diligently doing the job um you know i it was a good, a good year for me a great year in sport we had some awesome multi-sport games the european games in minsk were a true highlight of mine i the first time i've ever been up all night covering an event and that was a uh, a unique experience i should say uh the Paci- i found the pacific games in samoa highly enjoyable definitely raised the standard of sport in the region um a little bit of a disappointing african games in robot they were kind of hard to follow from the outside and it was dominated almost by the king. It kind of seemed like a glorification event for him. So that was a little bit unfortunate. Um, of course, the amazingly well put together Pan American Games in Lima, they went um, better than expected, at least in my opinion. We saw amazing support from people in Peru who have probably never seen or heard of half the sports on the program. Um, we saw great television coverage for all of those events. Um, you know, really, it was a great year. The World Beach Games uh, in Doha, Qatar, those were a huge success, at least in my opinion. It showed that the format is highly successful. We also saw beach games in Sol Cape Verde, which is the first time they've hosted a multi-sport event. And again, they did a beautiful job. Uh, great television coverage. They covered every single event. Um, there's a playlist, I believe, on our forum under our Toy Olympics media section on the actual forum that you can you can uh, find the, uh, the playlist to that there if you want to go back and watch those, as well as all the other games I've mentioned. We finished the year with a great, south, uh, great edition of the Southeast Asian Games in 
the Philippines, even if they were a bit overshadowed by quite a few organizational issues and obviously the postponement of the um, Asian Sea Games, or I mean the uh, Para Games, which will be now held in March instead of January. But um, in terms of the sporting year, I think it was it was quite quite good, um, definitely satisfactory, definitely good. Um, it's hard to it's always hard to determine exactly how good a year is, but I think 2019 was a, was a great year, and of course we're both looking forward to 2020. And I actually think right now it'd be maybe be a little bit of a fun game if we say what both of us say what we're most looking forward to in 2020. So I'll let you go first. Oh well, I think that uh, 2020 will be the most important year. Uh for the Olympic movement because of ending, because of that's the point where Olympic Agenda 2020 uh, was the roadmap to that part of the of the history. So I think that uh, this year after the Tokyo Games or maybe a little bit uh, before the Games, we'll see another new moves in the IOC, another new ideas by the 1976 fencing Olympic champion, Thomas Beck, the IOC president. So I'm really looking forward to what's going on in the sports politics about this sport itself. I think that these games will be also historical ones because of the because of the climate changes and the things that it, the problems it might cause in the in the Tokyo zone. So I think it will be quite an interesting year. We will have a lot of, uh, to talk about during our podcasts. Yep, and if I had to choose the thing I'm most uh, excited for, of course, 2020 is an Olympiad year. Um, historically, the Olympiad, of course, is the, the year that happens every four years that now falls in the Summer Games. Of course, we now also have the Winter uh, Olympiad years because of that change after 92. But, um, of course, 2020 is an Olympiad. It's a leap year, so we get, we get that always important extra day in February. But, um, you know, two Olympics. We got the Youth Olympic Games hot up caught up and coming got i believe uh 10 10 or 11 days till those i gotta be honest i didn't check the countdown calendar today although i'm of course we're both highly anticipating those we plan full coverage for those and it's actually a test for our first for the first olympics we plan to cover and of course i'll be in tokyo 2020 so that'll probably be my highlight of the year it'll be my first olympics that i've been to in person and i'll be seeing quite a few medal events i don't know how much i'll be able to share because of media restrictions that are that are of course in place for the biggest sporting event in the world but I'll try to share as much of the experience as I can with everyone uh, on the forum and our listeners to the podcast and the uh, readers on our website. And we'll try to bring you as much content as we can from both of those. Uh, multi-sports games-wise, I believe that's about, uh, we have the Paralympics, of course. And these could be the biggest um, Paralympics in history. We saw record ticket demand. In fact, even for the Paralympics, they, they're going to run out of tickets uh, in Japan. So that's quite impressive. We should see full stadiums cheering fans we should and of course they've they've been really pushing inclusion they've had animes about inclusion so it should really be a historic year for the paralympics as well so i'm really looking forward to those we'll see some new sports debut like badminton and taekwondo um you know it should just be an amazing amazing year for the olympics and paralympics i'm really looking forward to 2020 i think it's going to be a spectacular year uh, really hoping i just didn't jinx it right there but i think we can both look forward to it our our organization for olympics media can look forward to it and of course, all the members of our forum, readers of our of our website, and listeners to the podcast can look forward to it too. So, unless you have any other business to attend, I believe we can both say our uh, our signing off messages here. Unless you have anything else you want to say. Well, so 
to our to our listeners, I wish you all uh, big emotions during this year's the the following year's uh, sport events, and have a good luck to, to you as a fans to to attend as many events as you can, as you wish. So happy New Year! <laughs> I think that might actually be a great way to end it off. So I'm just also going to say, you know. Um, I hope everyone had a great holiday season, at least for those that celebrate. And for those of you that didn't, I hope you just had a wonderful week. Uh, otherwise, um, you know, 2020, as I said, big year. I'm sure we're all looking forward to it. And of course, the best way to end this podcast would be saying uh, Happy New Year, everyone.